Hello and welcome to the We Hold These Treasures podcast, a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. I'm your host, Elizabeth Tomlin. I'm the author of the book, Joyful Momentum, Growing and Sustaining Vibrant Women's Groups. And today on the We Hold These Treasures podcast, I'm chatting with my friend, Emily Jaminette. Emily is the executive director of the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network. She's a Catholic author. She's a speaker. She has a radio show on St. Gabriel Radio. She's a wife and a mom of seven children, and you might know her through some of her books, which include the award-winning Divine Mercy for Moms, The Friendship Project, Prayfully, Our Friend Faustina, and her most recent books are about the Sacred Heart. The first is The Secrets of the Sacred Heart, and then the second is Holy Habits from the Sacred Heart. And it's both are beautiful books, and so I'm excited to talk about them today. So today we're going to focus on talking about the Sacred Heart, especially Emily's newest book, Holy Habits from the Sacred Heart, 10 Ways to Build Stronger, More Loving Relationships. So Emily, it's fantastic to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's truly an honor to be on your podcast. Absolutely. We've been talking about podcasting for a long time, so it's great to have you as the second guest of the podcast, the first being Archbishop Brolio. So I'm wondering if you can share with listeners about what the Sacred Heart is. You know, in this Catholic see, there's so many devotions, Our Lady of Lords, Our Lady of Victory, um, Padre Pio. My mother-in-law is constantly sending me bottles of St. Philomena oil to give to people. So what, um, amid all of these devotions and sacramentals that we have in our faith, can you explain what is the Sacred Heart devotion and who is the Sacred Heart for those who might be hearing this for the very first time? Well, in my introduction on um, Holy Habits from the Sacred Heart, I talk about how there's lots of devotions, like you mentioned. And at different times in history, these devotions have served as signposts, leading us back closer to Christ, helping us to understand the truths of our faith. What I think is beautiful about the Sacred Heart devotion is I would like to say it's the devotion because it's focused mm-hmm. on the person of Jesus Christ. It also highlights and, and really um, emphasize the gift of the Holy Eucharist, for example. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds us of the authentic life-changing love that Jesus is always pouring out to us. And through this devotion, we then respond to that love. We respond to that love by giving our Lord our hearts, which we can read in scripture. We respond with our actions, offering up our little sufferings throughout our life and placing our trust in Jesus. So it's really, this devotion is just as much about, you know, as we can talk about placing images in our homes or in our churches and our schools, but it's really what goes on within our heart. That's most important. Mm -hmm. I love that in one of the early chapters in the book, you talk about John, the beloved being the first devotee of the sacred heart in that he reclined on Jesus's chest at the last supper. And that's just such a beautiful, intimate image of how Christ wants us to sit with him and be with him and give ourselves over to whatever his call is in our life. So that was a beautiful image in the, in the beginning of the book. So what, what is enthronement then? So you're the executive director of the sacred heart enthronement network. What does it mean to enthrone the sacred heart? 
Well, first, um, you know, the word enthronement sounds really big, but many scriptures, especially in the Psalms, talk about enthronement. For example, in Psalm 103, he's enthroned on high for all generations. So it's placing the king on the throne. And then our response is submitting our authority to him, that we, we're willing to follow the king. We're willing to um, give him the proper honor to him. Now, it's different than a worldly king. We're talking about Jesus Christ being you know, enthroned on high. Now, this response of enthronement comes from when Jesus appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alico 350 years ago, this upcoming December of 2023, where he asked his image to be exposed and honored so that we shall be blessed. So he actually wanted this image in our homes, in our place of refuge, so that we can be reminded that his heart is our refuge and we can start to understand that he loves us. Now, what's beautiful about this devotion and this image is, and I think for many of our listeners around the world, you can see each culture has some level of, of revealing this reality where Jesus's heart is outside of his body, because that's how he appeared to St. Margaret Mary. And, you know, he said in early on that my heart is just so full of love that I can't, it can't contain in my, my chest anymore. And that's, that's a summary of some of the words that he expressed to her. But the truth is, as we mentioned earlier, his heart beats out of love for us. He wants us to turn to his heart as a refuge. And he wants it to be almost the holy stop sign in our own house, in our own place of dwelling, so that we can let the reign of Christ in our dwelling place. So if someone wants to enthrone the sacred heart in their house, what do they, what do they do? What does that involve? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. And that's what got me so excited about this ministry and this work as I started doing research. When did enthronement get officially introduced in the church? It was officially approved and welcomed into the church in 1907, thanks to mm -hmm. a uh, priest out of Chile who said, we need to actually formalize the exposing and honoring so that new graces can, can pour forth into the life of the, the Catholics. He understood that we were in a great spiritual battle against modernism and atheism, which was really rampant and growing around 1907. But yet I think about where we are now, we need those graces even more. So at welcomeisheart.com, what we do is we have a digital download for our international community and it's um, downloaded all across the world. And, and it's what an we image, encourage... right? Yes, an image. An image. Yep, it's a download of an image and then a simple booklet. And this booklet encourages families and Catholics, individuals, single Catholics to say, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. So it's like in Revelations, opening the door and then building a covenant of love and making sure that our faith isn't just practiced at church, but it also um, is, is allows our own home to be Christianized. I think it's a beautiful devotion. And I, I recall in my grandmother's house, she had this huge picture of the sacred heart of Jesus. So it was Jesus in his heart outside his chest with the thorns around it. And I never knew what the image was growing up. You know, I knew it was a big image of Jesus and that it had been enthroned in her house, but it wasn't something that I knew. And I thought it was really interesting years later going into my husband's grandmother's house when you go in the garage to this day, and, and she's since deceased and my father had, my father-in-law has the house. But when you go in the garage, there's this ancient kind of flaking apart image of the sacred heart 
of Jesus, and it has a blessing for all who enter this house. And then it lists the promises of the sacred heart. And so it was a devotion that I think generationally, my grandparents' generation, probably your grandparents' generation, was very, very popular in this country. And it seems like it's coming back. You have tens of thousands of people engaged in the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network, right? Absolutely. And one of the things our mission is, is to promote, to empower <laughs> everyone to see that, you know, when you're in a, even a difficult time, you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling with illness, or even a child that's, that's going wayward, you know, give it to Jesus. You know, we know that he is the miracle worker. He is the, you know, full of grace. He's the one who gives us our hope. And we want to remind, especially Catholics, that he wants to work in your life in anything as mundane as getting you a new job or as important as, you know, your final, your final breath of, of your, you know, transitioning um, onto your eternal life. So let's, let's, you know, spread that hope and keep that hope in our heart. Mm -hmm. You, you talked about in secrets of the sacred heart, the promises of the sacred heart. And in the more, your more recent book, Holy Habits from the Sacred Heart, you list virtues. Each chapter is kind of centered on a virtue or, or a fruit. Well, it is a virtue, but a fruit that, or blah, virtue that comes from being devoted to the Sacred Heart. The first one being docility. And the second is overcoming shame, which I think a lot of people are afraid of we have so many, we carry so many wounds and trauma in this day and shame that shame can be a barrier to just authentically living our lives. We're afraid that we're not worthy to live the life that God called us to live. And I love in the chap in the chapter in the book, you write that the gospels are full of ordinary men and women who met the Lord, encountered his love and left with a great desire to follow him. So what does that mean for us today, somebody, for anybody who might be reticent and, and who are some people in the gospels that you think of who were ordinary people and just said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to believe he is who he's, who he, who he says he is. Well, first, um, you know, the, the promises of the sacred heart are, are powerful. They're wonderful. They're rooted in the gospel and uh, through secrets of the sacred heart. I wanted people to see the gift of that, you know, the fruits that come from practicing the faith. But what I also came to realize very quickly is that our hearts have to change. Our actions have to change, right? How mm -hmm. we view the world, there needs to be that conversion, as you can say, take place. And a lot of times we supplement the counterfix of love for what, you know, love isn't right. Instead of encountering who love is the person of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is a great place to start. I think of, of course, um, you know, some of the dramatic conversions, St. Mary Magdalene, mm -hmm. uh, an amazing story of a woman who, um, you know, was transformed the woman at the well, another amazing story of a woman who literally encountered Christ came to understand this living water and then said, I want to go tell everyone. Right. And that's, that's really the mission that we're on now is that a lot of times we put our faith in a box. We say, mm -hmm. you know, my Catholicism is good for me and my family, and we're going to sneak off to mass on Sunday and we're going to come pull the minivan in the, in the driveway. And hopefully 
you know, the neighbors aren't going to ask us about it. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is that the gospel message is for everyone. Right. And one of the, one of the sounds, Father Mateo, um, as I mentioned earlier, this priest would used to say, you know, um, make your home another Bethany. And that com- rings in my ear often, you know, because Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the door was always swinging open and Jesus just might be walking in, you know, that afternoon. And mm-hmm. it was a place of joy and a place of hospitality and a place of warmth and a place of prayer, a place of, of just life. And so to me, I, when I was writing about ordinary people transformed, it was just as relatable now as even some of those um, beautiful gospel stories that we read and, and how their lives were never the same. Right. And some of these people had huge dramatic conversions that we know a lot about the, the woman at the well, one of the things I love about her story is the people go running to the well because of what she said. And then a couple lines later, they say, well, we don't believe because of what you told us we did, but now we believe because we have seen for ourselves. So being a witness to Jesus draws people in and then they themselves are converted. So the fruits of living your faith out loud is that just by being a witness, you can draw others in so that, so that they encounter the Lord for themselves. Um, within, within the military archdiocese, within our Catholic women of the chapel groups, there's oftentimes a first Friday devotion at chapels to the sacred heart. Can you speak a little to what a first Friday devotion in a parish or in a military chapel might look like? Sure. Um, you know, that's, I remember you telling me about the first Friday, um, devotion and I, uh, you know, being lived out and I was so encouraged because it's, it's a, it's a monthly reminder first of Jesus's the, the, the first Friday, the good Friday, and always recalling that first Friday that Jesus died for us. So by going to mass, um, we are recalling Jesus dying on the cross for us. So it's important if you can get to mass on a first Friday, um, Jesus asked St. Margaret Mary that we do that. And he even extended additional promises of giving us the sacraments when we die. If we go nine months in a row, if we can live out this first Friday devotion. So that's um, heroic. That's wonderful. That's great. If you're in a position where you can't do a first Friday devotion, you know, make it your spiritual reset day, you know, make it the day in which you, you know, spend some time, extra time with the Lord, you know, saying, you know, am I really growing closer to him? Where am I right now? Let's not just wait for Christmas and Easter to do those types of um, assessment. Now, I know that there's groups all across the country and around the world that gather oftentimes, as I mentioned with mass, other times, prayer service, holy hour, reconciliation. Um, We do a group where we also do faith formation and sharing. So a lot like Mm -hmm. a Bible study. So it, it, it works to the flavor of the group. But I think that when we begin that first Friday devotion, you never get tired of it. You always continue to want to grow closer to the Lord so that he ultimately becomes our refuge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And to practice the first Friday devotion, nine, nine consecutive Fridays, the good Friday, and it would involve going to mass, receiving, receiving Holy communion in honor of the sacred heart, and then praying in atonement for any sins that were committed against the blessed sacrament. So it really is a highly Eucharistic 
uh, Eucharistic devotion. And in some of our chapel groups, because our chapels are women of the chapel groups, they have such a Marian character. One of the ways I've seen this devotion adapted into the lives of the community is they'll start with the rosary, kind of do their their breakfast, their faith their faith sharing or their faith study, whatever whatever's on the schedule for the day. And then once their their usual meeting is finished, they'll migrate into the chapel for the first Friday devotion. And it's something beautiful to do together. And I was thinking of people who might want to or communities who might want to enthrone the Sacred Heart. On your website, they can download an image of the Sacred Heart and they could even on one of those first Fridays bring them in to be blessed before taking them home to their families to do as a devotion together so that there's unity in the community around the Sacred Heart and then also in the families. So I'm always trying to look for ways that our chapel groups can be more more involved in this devotion and, and bring it back because like you said, you're promoting the Sacred Heart. And, and I certainly saw it in my grandparents' generation. It wasn't something that was a devotion in the home I was raised in, but it was for you, wasn't it, Emily? It was. And one of the things I wanted to share um, just briefly is one of the lines that we say when we do the enthronement, right? So we're officially acknowledging that he's the King and Lord of the family is we say, everyone that's present says, keep us faithful to your commandments to love God and our neighbor, divine heart of Jesus, preside over our family gatherings, Bless all of our family undertakings, both spiritual and temporal, sanctify our joys and comfort us in our sorrows. And if any members of our family should separate themselves for you, remind the most sacred heart of your infinite love and mercy. And then it goes on to say, when the hour of separation comes and death brings sorrow into our family, we will humbly accept your divine will. We will console and comfort others with the thought that the time will come when our whole family will be united lovingly with you in heaven forever. We ask the blessed mother and St. Joseph protector of the church to offer our family promise to you and may the memory of this promise be with us always. That's beautiful. I mean, I get emotional every time <laughs> I read that passage because, <laughs> you know, as a mom reached out to me last week and she had a, a SIDS baby pass and she said, this is the only consolation, right? Mm -hmm. This is it is knowing that, you know, we are going to give our family to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I believe it's important, but then when I read that, that certain prayer, I'm like, this is the greatest gift you can give your family. And if your husband's not on board, your kids aren't on board, but think of those words in Joshua as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Somebody opens the front door to Jesus, you know? And so even if the enthronement is you and a couple of your, your dear Catholic friends, you know, standing there with you, that's great. Just mm -hmm. begin the process of letting Christ touch your heart in your very own home. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. There was a line in the prayer that you just read that consecrates the entire family and then mentions that if a, if someone should separate themselves. And so often a conversation that I have in Catholic women's groups or at Catholic women's conferences is the extreme and profound and justified grief that mothers feel, that fathers feel when their children when their children leave the church or 
separate themselves from the church for a time. And that prayer is a beautiful kind of preempting that you're claiming Jesus's promise within your family, that even, even before anyone may be separated, you're, you're almost surrendering your children to, to the promises of the sacred heart so that, so that in that act of surrender, it might bring consolation to the grief that you feel. I know with my children growing up and leaving the nest, there's a part of me that has to say, you know, Lord, they're yours. I I raise them. They're your children. And there's something, there's a, a big consolation there, even though I would love to, you know, keep them little and dress them in their Sunday best with their patent leather shoes and their white ruffle socks and, and all of that, but they're, they're not my children anymore. They're his. So off they go. Well, the other thing that was really touching to me was Father Francis Larkin shared that in the 1940s, this devotion was so high because a lot of it was um, moms were putting 18 year olds on boats, you know, to head off to mm. war. And when I started doing the research, story after story of consolation that came from this devotion and then the entrustment of. And, and so Yes, it is a burden when a child leaves the faith or when you, you can't be there to, to physically protect them, but you grow, you grow mm-hmm. as a Catholic, you grow as a, um, you know, not allowing your peace to be removed no matter what. And that's what I, you know, in the book, I talk about spiritual stability. And that's really what I want for every Catholic is to encounter the heart of Jesus, remove the counterfeits of you know, the falseness of, of what we think love is versus encountering Jesus. And then as a result, we have a new stability, a new peace so that we can again, witness. So I do see this trend of this devotion. Um, I just was so touched by these, especially uh, sailors and, and soldiers whose parents said, go serve your country, but we're going to pray. And we hope that you do as well. Yeah, especially in the 40s when these these men went off to war and they didn't come home until it was over. I mean, now we we still are deploying and we're deploying for nine months, six months, sometimes even 12 months at a time. We're doing unaccompanied tours and there's a distinct separation. But we know that at some point during the deployment or the tour, our, our loved one will be afforded an opportunity to come home for leave. And that's something that didn't happen during World War II, not to mention the extreme dangers and, I mean, the lethality of war. This is not something light that anybody engages in and certainly something very, very tragic. So, Emily, switching gears a little bit. Um, you have seven children, ages six to 22. Am I getting that right? Getting close seven to almost 24. So we are yeah. still right, right there. <laughs> so with, with seven children, with the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network, you have somehow managed to write absolutely beautiful books. Divine Mercy for Moms and The Friendship Project are still very, very popular in the Catholic women of the chapel communities. In fact, I know that the women at Fort Belvoir, Virginia are going to be reading your books this coming year, both the Friendship Project and Divine Mercy for Moms. So practical question for any woman who's listening going, how does she do that? Or for any woman who's listening who says, I've got a book burning in my heart that I want to write. How on earth do you do it? Well, I'll say, and I talk about my book. I still remember the day I got on my knees before my image of the sacred heart. And I said, Jesus, you can have 
the marriage, the family, and my future. And when it begins with that as your foundation, the Lord will begin to show you opportunities that you can um, give back. So for me, that giving back is early in the morning when I'm writing a book. It it doesn't pull away from family time, but it was my early morning. So as a result, I cut out the television at night and um, it, it was just beautiful. And also, you know, a lot of times we contemplate, uh, you know, what are you thinking in the car? Are you thinking about God? Are you thinking about the faith? Or are you just mindlessly listening to music? So uh, a lot of the contemplation can take place right in your own life, cleaning the kitchen, doing tasks. A lot of those ideas um, happened right there. So I was, I was present, but I was thinking about different things. So um, I encourage any woman and every woman to pick up a pen and begin writing because we tell the stories to the next generation. We give them hope and encouragement. We are the, we have a responsibility um, to rewrite what the culture is, is saying is truth. It's not um, with so many women of virtue and, and just courage. And um, I think we all have a place in the great arena of life to tell these stories. Very good advice. Pick up a pen and write, um, get up early in the morning. Don't watch TV too late at night. Um, all very good things and kneel down and offer it, offer it all to the Lord. It's just beautiful, Emily. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today about the sacred heart and life and writing and children. It's always good to get to visit with you. And so I'm glad to introduce you to all my friends in the archdiocese because, um, it's just been a joy to be your friend. So thanks so much. Well, it's truly a joy to be here. Thank you so much and know that you're all in my prayers and thoughts. And I'm just forever grateful to, you know, and everyone who makes the sacrifice to stand with freedom and serve our country uh, and all those families. So just, um, I have a heart of gratitude. Thanks so much, Emily. Listeners, thank you for spending time with me today on the We Hold These Treasures podcast. My goal with this podcast is to be responsive to interests of this audience. So if you have a topic that you'd like me to explore or a guest whom you think I should interview or even a question about Catholic womanhood or military life, send me an email at weholdthesetreasures at millarch.org. I'd love to hear from you. We Hold These Treasures is available on Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Amazon Music, really anywhere you get your podcasts, and of course, the millarch.org website. So I encourage you to subscribe, leave a positive review for We Hold These Treasures, and share it so that we can better connect throughout this archdiocese. God bless you.